Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, uh, we continue our look at the book of Genesis with a message entitled Naked and Afraid. We're going to be looking at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and what that might mean, what what are the implications. And real quick, I just want to thank everybody who participated in Bag Hunger. We collected... 3,255 pounds of food to give to hungry people on the North Shore. So thanks so much for doing that and uh, participating, and we'll do it again next year at this time. For now, let's go to the talk. North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Here's a little background. <laughs> Genesis 2 is another creation account that is actually separate from Genesis 1. And Bible scholars say that it's actually the older of the two accounts. But it does make more sense to start off with Genesis 1 because it's more big picture. And Genesis chapter 2 is actually, uh, you know, focusing in on, you know, more the human relationships with God. So in Genesis chapter 2, God sets uh, Adam in a garden. And Adam has to, he gives names to all the animals, and he realizes, like, all these animals are cool, but, like, (laughs) none of them are my type. And uh, so God creates Eve, and because he's like, it's not good for man to be alone. And all the women said, amen, right? It's not good for men to be alone, right? Can we agree? Uh, All right. It's pretty tepid there. It's not good for my son to be alone. Never know what I'm going to come home to find. (laughs) Uh, So in this garden, God sets two trees. One is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the other one is the tree of life. And the only only rule that that Adam and Eve are given is don't eat from this one tree. You can have anything else in the whole garden, but the day you eat this, you're going to die. It's not going to be good. And so that brings us to Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent, and this is on the front of your bulletin. Now the serpent, <laughs> I'm going through puberty. I sang for six hours yesterday, so I'm like, uh, I'm tired, and my voice is kind of having issues. <laughs> now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. 
And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman you gave me (laughs) to be with me, she gave me the fruit from this tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you've done? And the woman said, The serpent tricked me, and, and I ate. So this is our story. Not just our story for the day. This is the, this is the story of humanity. One of the aspects of the tragedy of Genesis 3 is that the snake successfully reverses the relationship of leadership and lead between humanity and creation. Humanity was supposed to exercise beneficent leadership over creation, and instead nature is exercising maleficent leadership over humanity. This is from John Golden Gay probably one of the most world-renowned Bible scholars of the Old Testament. As I said the last few weeks, human beings were created in the image of God, and we were given a vocation. Why were we created in the image of God? To rule and reign on God's behalf. That's, That's not disputed by hardly anybody who studies the Old Testament. We were We were created with the capacity of revealing who God is to creation so we could rule, so we could steward creation, so we could... uh, bring creation into its flowering under God's leadership. And so what we see before there's ever a temptation in the garden, we see that creation is is kind of pushing back in the form of a snake. Now, I want to say one thing about this snake. It's not Satan. It's a snake. Um, Actually, Satan, you know, the guy with with red, you know, and red with horns and like, like that dude doesn't, appear anywhere in the Old Testament at all. But oftentimes, you see evil represented in terms of a snake, a dragon, a sea monster. Like, those are common metaphors uh, in the Old Testament. So the snake is symbolic of not only cunning, wisdom, and this is not just in the Bible. If you look at other ancient Near East cultures, the Sumerians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, snakes symbolize wisdom, but they also symbolize chaos. They it, it symbolize think, bringing things out of order and into chaotic places. So the, the, the first thing that we see about this story is that creation is beginning to assert itself against humanity, and humanity is supposed to steward creation. You know, Eve's first thing should have been like, well, her first thing is like, you're a talking snake. <laughs> Maybe I should. Don't talk to talking snakes, kids. That's the, the first lesson. Um. But instead of ruling over creation, we see creation pushing back. The temptation that the snake comes to to Eve with is you can be like God apart from God. And it all starts with a question. And it's a question about God's nature. Is God really good? Or is God holding out on you? And isn't that the question that we all have? So often in life, 
You face difficulties. You face trials. You're like, well, if there is a God, how come there's so much suffering in the world? Is God really good? And that was the first question that the uh, serpent tempts Eve with. God is holding out from you. Why? Because God doesn't want you to be like him. But what, what do we know about God from the first two chapters of Genesis? God does want us to be like him, right? He created us in his image. And actually, when you get to Romans 8, the Apostle Paul writes, who God foreknew, God predestined that they would be conformed into the image of Christ. Like, that's God's ultimate plan. And again, this is the gospel. This is the good news. Not that you go to heaven when you die, but that you would actually look like Jesus. You'd be conformed into the image of God. So the serpent gets Eve to question God's goodness. And immediately after Eve takes a bite of this, and look, it's, it's commonly referred to as an apple in our culture. Did you know that Apple, the computer maker, you know their, their logo is an apple with a bite out of it? It's tied into this. I found that out a few years ago. It's not some weird conspiracy thing. It's an actual marketing thing. Um, but I'm sure there's a YouTube video for it. Am I the only person that likes to look at YouTube conspiracy videos late at night? Okay, thanks. It's all guys. It's all guys. Like women. Okay, thank you. It's kind of like that in Beastie Boys. Um, So we know what happens as soon as she eats of this fruit and as soon as she gets... Adam, and and look, Adam, it says Adam was right there with her. So, like, you know, Eve kind of takes a bad rap for taking the fruit, but Adam's, like, right there doing nothing. Like, he doesn't say, like, I don't know if this is a good idea. He's like, let me see if if this kills you when you eat it. Okay, I'll have some. (laughs) So Adam is really just a a, a picture of a guy who just has no courage and, 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 you know, this is more of a sin of omission. But... As soon as they eat it, it says their eyes were open. And this brings me to the title, Naked and Afraid. What, yeah, I, I'm, I've been fascinated forever about, like, what was this fruit, the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? I don't know if it was an actual fruit, if this is more just symbolic metaphor, um, but it turns out there's a whole lot of diversity opinions on what this thing meant. Uh, a lot of the Jewish scholars that I've read, they actually think that when it says the knowledge of good and evil, it just means that you'll know everything from good to evil. That's good. Uh, another very common interpretation, which I think is probably one of the more helpful ones, is that there are two trees in the garden, and those two trees represent two ways of living life. One is 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 the life that God has, a, a life of living in trust. And the other one is leaning on our own understanding. Remember when we were doing Proverbs a couple of months ago, uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge in God, and God will make your path straight. It was weird when I was looking at the book of Proverbs a couple of months ago. I was like, man, there's one thing that is over-communicated in the book of Proverbs, and that is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Like, wisdom doesn't come from pursuing wisdom. It comes by trusting God with our lives. That's where wisdom is. So, in a sense, the two trees in the garden actually uh, 
show us two ways of living in this world. One is by our own intellectual understandings and pursuits. The other is actually trusting God. That's a good one. Another one that I, I uncovered as I was reading this, uh, reading different books and stuff, and I, and I really, I think this one, I think there's something to it, kind of looking at it more from an archetypal, archetypal lens, is that this story may actually represent humans becoming conscious, you know, uh, more, more conscious than, say, dogs and stuff. I mean, your dog is conscious. You're, you know, we, we have sparrows in our front porch that are conscious, but humans becoming self-conscious, right? This is the burden of consciousness, is that human beings, we have an advantage over dogs. Your dog doesn't worry about, you know, is, is there going to be a, a food shortage next week? Your dog's not thinking about that. Sparrows don't think about that. Dolphins don't think about that. But there's an unusual thing that happens with us because unlike all the other animals, we can think about the future, right? We can think about tomorrow. And that's a great thing, right? The good side is you can think about tomorrow and you can make plans and you can, you know, plan things, build things, create things. But there's a downside to that too, right? When their eyes are opened, immediately they realize they're naked. Have you ever noticed, like, dogs don't freak out that they're not clothed? Oh, my gosh! <laughs> I'm naked! I'm so embarrassed all these years. I'm just walking around. And everything hang out. Uh, no, animals don't worry about that. But, but immediately when human beings become self-conscious, now all of a sudden they realize they're naked. What does that mean? They realize they're vulnerable. They're living in this Garden of Eden. Now they realize all the ways that they can be hurt. All the threats out there. But here's where the, it gets evil. Because not only do I realize my own nakedness, and not only am I self-conscious, and, and, and now I, I, I realize the different ways that I can be harmed, but I also recognize how I can harm you. I, uh, back in 96, I, I was in Europe, and I went to Auschwitz, the, the biggest Nazi concentration camp. And uh, has anybody ever been there besides me? It's... Uh, it was one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I, I felt physically ill stepping on the property. I mean, it's just, you see German engineering, like they had infrastructure, like everything was solid and thought through, and that's, that's the part of it that is so sickening, right? You know, you can see uh, animals in nature, watch the Discovery Channel or National Geographic, and you see a hawk, you know, kill a rabbit, or you see a lion take a gazelle, and we're like, you know, it sucks to be the gazelle, but it, we're, we're like, it's kind of what you expect, right? We don't, there's no malice behind it. I mean, an, a lion is just doing what lions do. A hawk is just doing what a hawk does. But when humans set their mind to evil, there is a sick 
conniving, exploitive, destructive thing going on the surface, underneath the surface. And when you go to a place like Auschwitz, I remember walking into this room where it was filled with gold teeth. It was filled with shoes. It was because at one point, and this was the thing that just blew my mind because genocide has happened throughout human history. And sometimes genocide kind of erupts as, as kind of a, almost like crimes of passion. There's tension growing up. But what the Germans did during the Nazi time, at some point after locking the Jews up, they realized, why are we just burning these bodies? There's, there's got to be some commodities here that we could actually use. And I don't even like saying this stuff, even as I'm saying it right now. It's, it's just so gross and evil and disgusting. But that is, the, that is the manifestation of the evil side of human consciousness. We are aware of our own nakedness, and, and we can look into the future. But because of this evil side to our knowledge... So much of our thoughts about the future are for self-preservation, for domination. Now because we're, we know how we can be hurt, we apply our minds to how we can defend ourselves. I mean, even in America, when you look at the amount of money we spend just on defending ourselves, it's something like 25, like the next 25 countries in line... <laughs> It's equal to what we spend on, on defending ourselves. So much money into buffering ourselves against all the possible threats that we can imagine. But we do that as individuals as well. How much of our life do we spend trying to insulate ourselves from all the crazy things that we can think of that are threats to our existence? That is the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Instead of living in the present, in this beautiful Eden that God prepared for us, instead of living in a place of participating in this beautiful divine ecosystem, we are drawn into the future, not in a good way, sometimes in a good way, but, but so often. You know, you have those thoughts late at night where you start stewing over every bad thing. Anybody? Is it just me? You know? You start thinking of all the ways that, oh, that conversation that you have with somebody, I hope they didn't take it this way because maybe if they took it that way, then, that, you know, and you just start putting all these scenarios in your head of everything that can get, go wrong. And then pretty soon it's, it's, it's affecting the way you relate to everybody in the world and even God. And you're not even living in the present anymore. It's all anxiety. You know, one of the terms, I, I mentioned this uh, while back, one of the uh, there's a there's a Greek term and a, and a Hebrew term for sin in the Bible, and they both have a very similar meaning about missing the mark, and it's an archery term. So if you are an archer and you're shooting at a target and you just miss the target completely, the Bible would call that sin, and you're like, why? You know, it's just missing the mark. Well. That is really the point of sin, and I think this is what's so enlightening about Genesis 1. If we see Genesis 1 and 2 as the original intent of God for how we would live our lives in harmony with God and with creation, stewarding creation on God's behalf, then we can see that the, 
that eating of this tree was actually putting them on a trajectory that would actually cause them to miss the mark of everything God intended for humanity and creation. Which also means that what Jesus is doing is actually bringing us back into alignment with God's original intent. And you find this all over Scripture. It's in, it's in Isaiah, it's in Revelation, it's in the prophetic books. But I want to look at really how Jesus, through his teachings, his ministry, how he offers a way for us to get back in line with the trajectory that God had for us. Because, again, I I think even when it comes to sin, we feel bad for the bad things that we do. We confess our sins. That's great. We need to do that. But it's not just that we have done some things wrong. It's that the very trajectory of our life is off. And so we're, we're actually heading to a, 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 a off the path. We're heading down a way that will destroy us and destroy creation. Jesus in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, What you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Isn't isn't that kind of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You worry about how you look. You worry about what you're going to eat. You worry about where you're going to stay. You worry about all these things. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? Do they, not, they do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon, the greatest king of Israel, in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble all of its own. What is Jesus getting, trying to get us to do? Live from the tree of life. In a sense, Jesus is the tree of life. And what he's doing is, he, he's saying right here, you can live in such a way that is, is just anxiety about food and stuff and clothes and the fruit future and where all this is going, you can live that way. And that's the way, as Jesus said, that most people live. Most people live in perpetual anxiety about the future. They can never get enough stuff. They can never get enough things settled. And, and it's, it's just that. And Jesus said, don't live that way. Think about birds and flowers and I think it's, it's interesting that even, even what Jesus calls on as, as the metaphors here are the types of stuff you'd find in a walled garden. <laughs> Birds and flowers. We've got a little sparrow on our, we've got a little family of sparrows on our front patio. 
living in Abita Springs, it's like National Geographic around my... I got raccoons in the backyard. I got <laughs> and so about, I don't know, probably about six weeks ago, we saw these birds were building this little nest on, on one of these posts up. We got this little column thing underneath our, our um, roof there on the front porch. And so we've been watching this thing going on, and then, then the mother starts nesting, and then she lays eggs, and she's, like, sitting there, like, nonstop for about three weeks. And then about week, week and a half ago, the babies were born, and the mom just left. Like, we haven't seen her. And Dina's, like, going, that mom, she's a bad mom. And <laughs> and so dad's showing up and feeding the birds. And, and then part of their nest fell, fell down the other day, and, and Dina's like, man, we need to take the birds and put them in a box and feed them. I'm like, and I was reminded of this. I was like, they're sparrows. They're not really worried. They're not worried about where they live, where they, and, and they're actually making it okay. <laughs> Jesus says, don't worry, but seek first the kingdom of God. What does that mean? That means when we set our hearts, our minds on the ultimate goodness of God, when we organize our life around that, when we realize that our lives are in God's hands and we stop uh, living from a place of anxiety about the future, when we just take our hands off and just say, God, I'm going to seek you as the highest ideal of my life, the, the ultimate purpose of my life. I'm going to put you center stage. Guess what? Your trajectory of your life goes from one of sin, missing the mark, to now you're aiming high with your whole life. And what Jesus says is that as you start aiming at that, instead of aiming at all this other stuff, guess what? The other stuff's going to be taken care of. But this is the beautiful thing about what Jesus is saying, because when you get your food and your clothing and your house out of this way of doing it, your house doesn't hold you. Think of the things that we work for in our life. We put so much attention into and so many resources. And, you know, at first you get a job to start getting some stuff, and then pretty soon your stuff actually owns you, right? You know, your, 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 your very possessions actually own you. I think what Jesus is getting at here is that it is a return to the garden where we are living out of our relationship with God. Because it's not that God doesn't want us to know good and evil. It's just that God wants us to know good and evil as we are in relationship with God. Because then, as God brings stuff into our lives, we can actually handle it. It doesn't become an idol. It doesn't become something that destroys us. And guess what? Your food, your clothes, your house, everything you have can actually destroy your life if you make that the point of your life. You with me? Oh, don't preach. Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. God's righteousness can also be interpreted as interpreted, interpreted as God setting things right. Seek first God's kingdom and how God is setting things right. Participate in that 
with your life. Whether it's in your own family, whether it's on your job, whether it's in your neighborhood, your community, participate in what God is doing. Live with an orientation, looking for what the Spirit is doing. Organize your life around that. And everything else you need in this world is going to be taken care of. And now it'll be a gift from God and not the product of your striving and not something you're grasping and holding on to and holding on to you. You can live freely and lightly the way God intended you from the beginning. So the one reflection question I have today, how is the Spirit inviting me to trust God instead of being driven by anxiety about the future? I was going to put a few questions down, but I figure that one question's probably good enough, huh? How is the Spirit inviting me to trust God today instead of being driven by anxiety about the future? How is God inviting me today to trust Him instead of being obsessed with all the possible scenarios that may take my life down in the future? How is God inviting me to let go and surrender my life to him and to truly trust him with every situation, whether it's a family member, a job, outcome about the future? How is God inviting me to open up my hands and let those things go instead of being driven by grasping and worrying and anxiety? How is God inviting you to do that today? I think I'm going to close with a song that ties into this. Is that okay? <laughs> Just get it done quick, man. Why do I worry about tomorrow? day Why am I anxious about the clothes that I wear and where it is I will stay I remember how my life is held in your hands and you never let me go So when anxiety's come to take life from me I get still and know that you won't let go I look at the flowers I look at the fields the splendor and beauty of the world in your care birds and the trees and that song fills the sky and I know it will be alright and I know it will be alright
I'm 